You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. I'm Phil, and I'm really glad that you have joined us for this episode. Today, I'm joined by Dan Kent, a pastor at Woodland Hills Church and the author of a number of books, including a new series called The Training of KX-12, two volumes which have been released so far in the series, and they're very much along the lines of C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. So we're going to dive into spiritual warfare and all kinds of different issues kind of surrounding that topic. So we get into self-centeredness and scarcity and the reality and sort of fear of death, which Dan calls the sauce. We get into the issue we often face as human beings of just kind of reinforcing our own beliefs and the dangers and invitations present there. And then we get into something I am really excited about, and that is the importance of imagination. This is a topic I think we're going to be exploring a lot at Rua Space over the coming months and years, because I think there's just so much here. So Dan kind of kicks off that conversation, gives us some really helpful insight. And uh, I'm just so grateful that he came on the podcast. So friends, I pray that you find this discussion to be a blessing, that it is challenging, and that it is encouraging. So without further ado, here is my discussion with Dan Kent. Well, Dan, welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Hey, listen, I got to just say this. When I say I'm excited to be here, this is the first podcast I've done where we've talked about KX12. So uh, I've done just a ton of podcasts for Confident Humility. And uh, and I just, I love KX12 and I'm so excited to talk about KX12. Me too. You know, I read uh, Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis many years ago and I really enjoyed it. And so when I came across your work that was in, in some sense similar to that to that work. I, I mean, I just dove right in. I think I read the first one in just a, a you know, a couple hours, just jumped right wow. in and was super excited. Uh, so share with us maybe a little bit how you came across right this project, why this book, and then maybe just a little introduction into what it's about for those who haven't read it yet. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was like you. I mean, I, I read C.S. Lewis's masterpiece, The Screwtape Letters, and that book just really profoundly reshaped my thinking like no other book had. And I think what I really like about it is that it, it better than any other book, it shows how thoroughly soaked we are in spiritual warfare and just how there are so many things that are seemingly inconsequential that can move us toward God or away from God. And many of those things are intriguingly counterintuitive. And uh, and as an oppositional kind of troublemaker kid, uh, when I stumbled on this, I just thought, wow, this is cool. Here's this Christian writer saying that the church sometimes can be the enemy. And it's like, wow, that's that blew my mind, you know? And and uh, I, I think I think what that does is it it exercises spiritual warfare muscles that a lot of people don't exercise, and I just loved it. I just ate it up, and I I wanted to continue it because he only wrote thirty one letters, I think. And so uh, and so what I did the KX twelve. There's a couple things I wanted to do. Uh, number one, I wanted to uh, redo it where you really got to know the person because in Lewis's book. 
you don't get to know the person very much at all. And so I wanted one where you really get to know the person. And so Chase is the boy's name in, in my series. And um, uh, then the second thing I wanted to do is I, I didn't want them to look at the person as a patient because there's a certain type of affection that people have toward a patient. And I thought it would be more fun to look at the person as a prospect uh, because <laughs> when businesses look at people as prospects, there's like a ruthlessness. There's a fake affection, but there's a ruthlessness and just a greed. And I think uh, viewing hell as a corporation is much more accurate. Uh, and, and then that also allows me to make fun of corporation. So, yes, uh, <laughs> yeah, that jumped out to me immediately. So yeah. let's start right there. The the choice to you sort of just oppose uh, they they it is called the corporation, which is hell. And then you talked about the boy's name being Chase, but they are not allowed to use the name. So the the demon that is sort of the guide or the, the prospect uh, acquisition main prospect acquisition person isn't supposed to use the name right. of the prospect. So how did, yeah, start there for us. Yeah. Well, I mean, the affection. Is, so here's the thing with spiritual warfare is that, you know, the demons are also vulnerable to spiritual warfare. Mm. And the, the one of the biggest vulnerabilities that a, a demon has is to feel affection toward their prospect. And a name is one of those things that can just trigger just enough affection uh, that can start a sort of a downward spiral for the demons. And so the demons are not allowed to use the prospect's name. They can use the name of other people, but not their own prospect. So. I think you're getting you're getting into something really deep there, right? Because in our modern world, when you get to know someone's face or name, you can't just think of them as the other anymore, can you? But when you label someone, oh, Republican or Democrat or terrorist or Muslim, whatever it might be, you're you're like a corporation making them a number. So what happens when we get to know someone's name? Why does that change so much? Yeah, it, it, all those other things kind of keep people at arm's length distance. And um, when you when you know someone's name, you, you know, it's kind of like this. Have you ever had that feeling where it's like, you know, he just looks like a Dan. You, know? <laughs> you get this feeling like that guy looks like a Dan or that guy looks like a Todd. You know, mm. and there, there's just like this, that name is so perfect for that person. And a lot of times a name can really uh, capture a person's identity and their personhood. And and the more you get to know the person, the more the name is associated with all of those characteristics. And the name becomes part of your bond with them. Um, more so in the Old Testament. I mean, nowadays mm -hmm. names don't mean nearly as much as they used to mean. But they still do. They, they, they grow in meaning. So. so when you chose the name Chase, was there any specific meaning to that choice name? Dude, there is so much. His full name, so his full name is Chase Russell Myers. Is his full okay. name, and I was trying to find a name that that would capture something about his role in the story. And of course, the demons are chasing him, and mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of rustling going on, and he's stuck in a mire. So Chase Russell Myers. I mean, I, I couldn't pick one, so I just used all three. So yes, I love it. I love it. <laughs> So how was it writing from the opposite perspective? You know, the corporation word jumped out to me and all of those kind of implications. But it, what caught me every time, I mean, literally every time I read it was when Proctus Pugh, who's like the, the main writer of your story, writing to sort of a, a demon who's learning how to tempt and, and, you know, get this kid to follow him. When they refer to the enemy they're referring to God and right. every time that like caught in my chest. So what was it like to write from sort of that perspective where God is the enemy? 
Yeah, it's a unique perspective for sure. Um, it, from a writing perspective, it, it happens. You know, I, I teach a class on the screw tape letters, and even reading this type of writing, it takes a while for a reader to kind of reorient their mind in that way. Uh, for me, it, it it caught pretty quick, and so for me, writing it was also pretty quick. And there's something really, um, I don't know, uh, I don't know, enlightening or spiritually sort of like. Uh, it creates like a three-dimensional understanding of God when you can look at God from the perspective of God's enemy. And and it really kind of, because you wonder, I mean, how could how could Satan or how could demons be against God? And um, and what's a coherent perspective that could that could explain that? And and so that's one of the kind of the, I don't know, secondary things that I want to capture in the training of KX-12 is why would these demons even be against God? And and I kind of pick up on that in volume one where Chase asks the same question when he's playing with his toys. He's, he has a good guy and a bad guy, and the bad guy has all sorts of cronies with him. And he starts to wonder, well, if this guy is so bad, how come all of these cronies are with him? You would mm-hmm. think that that they wouldn't want to be around a bad guy. And he starts to ask those same ethical questions. and 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 so... Part of the fun of talking about God from the perspective of the enemy is you get to try to find some empathy for for these beings who um, are just, have a totally different mindset. And so, yeah, to me, it, it caught on pretty quick, and it wasn't that that problematic. It, but it's going to develop because uh, you know, as as the story goes on, kind of existential questions that demons have will sort of appear in the story, and it's not. It's not so cut and dried that, you know, if, if you're a demon, that's just who you are. That's just, you're just evil. I think it's, it, they have all sorts of rules and constraints to keep them from becoming good and to keep them from God. And uh, and, and that, that'll become more obvious as the story unfolds, I think. Yeah, and I, f- I felt like there was the potential for that. So the first two volumes are out at the time of this recording, and both of them were really good. And the one thing I did start to feel was... Proctus Pew keeps talking about this article that he wrote and yeah. and it keeps getting postponed and <laughs> and I can sort of feel the tension building that that maybe that is going to go somewhere. Hmm. So yeah, hopefully. I, I have no spoilers on that, but okay. that, that's at this point, it's just fun that the disappointment and the fact that the demons have these academic journals is just funny, <laughs> it you is. know, that they... Know that they write these articles and they get all this attention and absolutely, so. but I think it sort of also wakes us up to the fact that we are in a real war, aren't we? Yes, it's, it's sometimes easy just to think, you know, especially depending on what church tradition you're in, or if you're listening to this and you wouldn't necessarily consider yourself a Christian, um, we can often look at this word sin that's been just weighed down with meaning and yeah. have it be well, that's just God's arbitrary rules, right? But when you think about an actual enemy who is like a lion prowling, seeking to devour us, um, can you dive a little bit into that war that's going on and and that impact in our life? Because this is real. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really well stated, by the way. Um, I, I think that, you know, the idea of demons and Satan is is it's sort of a ridiculous idea in our in our age. And for me. 
I don't share my belief in in Satan and demons with just anybody. Uh, I'm, I'm careful about who I share that to because there is something very ridiculous about it. Uh, but uh, I think that's intentional. I think that the reason why that's ridiculous to us is part of the the spiritual warfare. Uh, now that that sounds like a cop out. It sounds like you know you're just you're just finding an excuse to keep believing this. But the fact is that I don't want to believe this. I don't want to think that there are demons, and I don't want to think that there's Satan because of it. It's ridiculous. I am kind of forced into that position theologically, and I can't really get into all of the defenses of it. But sure. uh, but I'll say this: uh, I think that. Any theology that doesn't include a Satan figure, eventually everything evil and horrifying falls back on God's lap and his responsibility. And uh, if, if there is no Satan figure, um, then every child who gets their eyes plucked out by terrorists and every rape, every everything eventually falls back on God's authority and um and that leads to a very vacuous faith and so the fact that the the new testament emphasizes this radical and seemingly ridiculous notion that there is this being who is ungodly who has authority over the earth uh that makes sense of a god who is holy and good and yet we still see all of this horribleness in creation. And so I kind of feel like I'm forced into that. So then the question is, well, what, what exactly is going on there? How does, how does the, the reality of the Satan figure, how does that affect our day-to-day life? And, uh, and that's sort of what spiritual warfare is. And that's sort of what this book goes after. Yeah. And I think this can provide really good insight into that because what I really enjoy by you going into this family is the the little interactions that they have the responses especially because the book starts when they're just a baby and yeah. it can sort of become I don't think your purpose in any way is to say, oh, my goodness, every little mistake you make is going to ruin your kid for life because of spiritual warfare. No, but on the other hand, it has made me become more aware of my goodness, my words do have power. My interactions with people are coming out of a story that's been shaped in me. And that is now informing my children's story and my wife and my neighbors. And if we really are in a war of peace versus destruction, then I got to I got to be kind of awake to that and be serious about my impact. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's exactly right. And, you know, for for me, you know, the, the, the church, I think, has a responsibility to um, help us in that spiritual warfare. And uh, unfortunately, I think the church tends to uh, wrestle with sort of surface-level morality, Mm -hmm. surface-level ethics, and they don't get into... There's certain topics in church that... there. I don't know if it's a shame culture or what, but there are certain topics that the church doesn't really cover, doesn't want to tackle. And one of the things I wanted to do with the training of KX-12 is get into all of those things that the church is embarrassed about. And so there's, there's the, even though Chase is a toddler and just a little boy in volumes one and two, I already start talking about masturbation and sexuality and uh, all of that stuff. And I, I really want this to be a platform where we can look at spiritual warfare and faith and, and nothing is left off the table and we can look at everything. And, um, and I think that that's what I'm most excited about, I guess. And I just want to commend you because there were 
definite uncomfortable parts because you're getting into real stuff. But I think the ways that you approached it were really honoring. So just thank you for that, because I think for people who are going to read it, it's, it gets real, but I think it's done in an honoring way. So that was that was really good. Thank you. So one part then of this sort of war we're in, the one of the things you call it is the sauce, right? That there's this pervasive sauce in the world that is put out there by the corporation. So let's dive into that for a yeah. little bit. Yeah, the sauce. Yeah, I, I, uh, <clears throat> yeah this, this is pretty deep, but uh, uh, the sauce, we're all marinating in the sauce for sure. <laughs> and, and the sauce is sort of a, um, I don't know, a pseudonym for the system of self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. And um, and really, you find that in Genesis, right away in Genesis, Genesis 1 through 3, where you have this list of relationships in Genesis uh, before the fall and after the fall. And before the fall, you have this intimacy with God where Adam and Eve could hear God rustling through the, the branches. And God's like right there in a tangible sort of way. Uh, everybody walks around without shame, naked. There's this this unity between man and woman. There's this peace between man and nature and all of these types of things. But all of those relationships shift after the fall. And um, the, the major ones, so n- n- God is no longer close. There's no longer peace between the genders. I can no longer walk around without shame. I'm always thinking, am I good enough? Am I doing okay? Am I acceptable? Um, and uh, there's also now limitation. Uh, we, we, we don't get anything. God doesn't make for us whatever we need when we ask. Uh, and we don't have access to the tree of eternal life. We are going to experience death. And so all of these relationships flip. And what that does is that creates the sauce. And especially uh, the fact that we die and the fact that we face limitation. Uh, those are the two major components of the system of self-centeredness. Because if you think about it, there's so many examples of this. But you know, think of college, for instance. You go to college for four years, and then you get your degree. Well, why four years? I mean, did you, did you learn everything in those four years? You're done now? You don't have to learn anything more? <laughs> of course not. There's tons more to learn. But you got to get on with your life. Why do you got to get on with your life? Well, because you're going to die eventually and you need to have a career. And uh, Or you look at like housing prices. Housing prices go up uh, the, when populations go up. Why is that? Well, because there's only so much property. And so that creates this demand for property. And so prices go up. And, and, and so that kind of forces us to be self-centered, forces us to get as much as we can. Why? Because there's only so much. As fast as we can. Why? because we're going to die. And that those two elements by themselves sort of amplify this self-centeredness. And, and that's kind of what the sauce is. And, and it takes a great amount of spiritual maturity and spiritual insight to recognize that you're being bullied by these two factors and recognize that you're being shoved and pushed around by these things that don't get talked about a lot. And, uh, and really, a, a large part of spiritual warfare is, I think, overcoming um, that pressure and, and finding a way to accommodate that without letting it affect our spirit in any kind of negative way. That's yeah, that's scarcity, right? The distribution yeah. of that's economics, the distribution of scarce resources, the idea that there's not enough, which then links back to the fact that you call it a corporation, right? Of course, they're going to sell scarcity and say, oh, there's not enough. Hold tight to what you can. Whereas God's invitation is to abundance. And we're kind of seeing that play out right now in early 2020 with 
what, nearly 10 million people now out of work in just a couple of weeks. People wondering, is there enough toilet paper, right? We're literally feeling the scarcity. Um, we're feeling it all around us. So how do we live into that abundance then? What's the way out of the sauce or out of, because it is a reality, right? We do have to be wise, but mm -hmm. like you said, we also can't allow it to become a, fe well, a fear, I guess, that makes us live in ways that aren't honoring to ourselves and others. So how do we live a life of abundance? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think instead of living a life of abundance, I think that what I would push for is um, not, not living a life of slavery where, mm. uh, you know, you're not, your decisions aren't based on the fact of scarcity. Um, you're, you're, you know, you, for instance, I mean, you have like, uh, uh, and I think, I, I think I share this example in the book, but, um, you know, you have like this corporate meeting and I've seen this, I've, been, I've, I've used to own a business and I, I've done consulting for pretty major corporations and, uh, and I've seen this multiple times. You have a new product, a new product that a company has and, you know, the, you all sit around saying, what are we going to name the product? Uh, what is the branding going to be? And then you eventually get to the question is, how much are we going to charge for it? And if you were to say, well, how much is it worth? I mean, you would get laughed out of the boardroom. You don't ask how much is it worth. No one, no one in business cares what it's worth. All they care about is how much can I get? Because in a, in a, in a world marinated in the sauce, you need to get as much as you can, mm -hmm. as fast as you can. And, and so I think you know, letting your decisions be based more on what is um, – you know, what can, how can I pull, even from a business perspective, just use that. Uh, how can I pull a fair profit from this product uh, without just um, gouging people, without just uh, this kind of greedy get as much as I can? And just letting, letting, um, letting your decisions be based on something other than the, uh, what would you say, the script that the sauce gives us. And rewriting that script uh, in a way that is, is, you know, even if, a little more just, a little more godly, that would be great. Um, and then uh, I think the other thing I would say is, and this is something that is hard, and it's probably a lifelong venture, but uh, really embracing the promise that the New Testament gives us that Christ has overcome death. Mm. And, uh, and if that's true, really thinking through what that means. This is Hebrews 2, I think 14 through 15, uh, that that Satan has the keys of death, but Satan has been overcome, uh, and that death should no longer hang over us and, and bully us around. And so what does that mean? And, and letting go of this fear of death uh, and what that means in my life, I think that is uh, a kind of a primary spiritual growth kind of uh, pathway that we need to pursue. Um yeah, I, I don't know if that answers the question, but those are some avenues anyway. No, absolutely it does. And I, I think, um, and I, I didn't, just to clarify, I didn't mean abundance like, oh, you're going to be wealthy. I mean more yeah, yeah. like uh, C.S. Lewis, I think, said something along the lines of he who has God and everything has no more than he who has God and, you know, less than everything, you know, or yeah. not as much um, because God is enough. And, and so I feel like that... Part of what you're talking about then is as a business owner, for example, there's a trust there of my my final fulfillment in life isn't in <laughs> getting as much as I can from other people, but perhaps it's located elsewhere. 
Yeah. So let's look at the Proctos principle. So Proctos Pew, again, being the person who is sort of writing this to this other demon. And he is from the prospect acquisitions department. And he <laughs> talks about our learning just enough to sort of reinforce what we already believe. So let's talk a little about how that plays out in the story and where we're seeing that kind of in the world. Yeah, uh, the Proctos principle, first of all, Proctos Pew, just in case people don't get it right away. Uh, Proctos is, I think, Greek for uh, anus or butt. And so Pew has double meaning. It could be like a place that you sit in in church, or it could be like a smell. And so <laughs> Proctos Pew is sort of a way of saying smelly butt is sort of a, <laughs> a, a way of, of saying that. But the Proctos principle is, and Proctos is very proud of this idea, and this is what he wrote the article on that he's, he keeps waiting to get published in this journal. But uh, what he says is that people often learn just enough to convince themselves they're right. And, and I see this all over the place. I mean, I, I uh, you know, there's all these articles, you know, 10 reasons why open theism is wrong or uh, five, five reasons why Christianity is a sham. And, and people will, who uh, reject Christianity will glom on to these types of things and, um, and then they feel comforted in what they already believe. Instead of like, like here's an example. Uh, I, I've seen like a, a big push lately um, for like, uh, I don't know what, we, what you would say, reconsidering Pelagius and Pelagius' thinking. And so there's like this semi-Pelagianism. Now, if your listeners don't know who that is, that's okay. But, uh, you know, Pelagius a lot of times gets used as sort of a derogatory label. Like, oh, you're just a Pelagian, people will say. And uh, instead of actually like saying, what about me uh, is consistent with Pelagius that you have a problem with? Because Pelagius is a Christian, and he believed in the inspiration of Scripture. He believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He believed all of these things that most Christians agree with. And so when you say I'm a Pelagian, well, which part of Pelagius don't you dis- that, that do you disagree with? And most people don't uh, really look into Pelagius. They just have this one little thing, uh, which in Pelagius's case is this idea that, that we can be righteous on our own. And they don't actually read Pelagius um, by themselves. They just go with this, this label, which is tragic because Pelagius he doesn't have a lot of writings and and the writings that we do have from Pelagius well, there's there's debate about whether or not Pelagius actually wrote them or uh, whether maybe his his disciple Celestius uh, had written them but there's one writing that we do have from Pelagius that we know is from him and it's called the letter to Demetrius and this thing is only 20 pages long and it's beautiful it's an easy read and most people who throw the Pelagius label around have never read it. And that's just like, how could you how could you label somebody after somebody and you don't really know what that person thinks? And so <laughs> and the reason for that is because people don't people aren't really as interested in the truth as they think they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times they find thing beliefs that they like and then they seek out arguments and evidence to support that. And and I think that that is one of the biggest vulnerabilities that uh, we have as as people who are seeking God is this human tendency to believe what we want to believe and then find things to support it. 
Yeah, and I see I see the division it's causing in the church. And I think so much of it is rooted in fear, fear of, well, I might have to change or even the psychology of, well, my mom taught me that or my dad or my pastor for 20 years. But I feel like the more we can engage mystery, for example, and the more we can be open to, hey, having all the answers may not be the goal, but this journey closer to it might be. yeah, I guess I feel like there's maybe an invitation in there to say it's okay not to have everything right. Yeah, I think that's for sure it's okay not to have everything right, which is not to say that we can't learn anything. Right. Um, it's just that we can't verify everything. Uh, we have to assume that we're right about things, but we should always be open to new things, I think. And there's a so. humility there then. There's a humility to say I'm going to walk forward in truth, but – other people can be right too. And I can learn something even yeah. from those I disagree with. I mean, one of the things that breaks my heart personally is I like to read authors from across the spectrum. And occasionally someone will see one of the books and be like, oh, you shouldn't, that, that's heretical. You shouldn't read that. And I'm like, that actually, the, the fact that you wouldn't read it actually scares me a little more than the people <laughs> reading it because yeah. that's how we grow. Even if it better helps you understand where you're at, we we are wrong about some things. And if those people, as you said, Pelagius truly being a Christian, you're going to have to spend eternity with that person. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Better figure it out, right? (laughs) That's right, man. Amen. So I want to look at imagination because this really jumped out to me. And you have a line that says, uh, imagination warfare accounts for a bulk of our warfare against the enemy. Again, now the enemy being God in this situation. So bring us into our imaginations a little bit. Yeah, you know, and there's so much to say about it. In fact, I think that's the only topic that I've had two chapters on so far. Uh, and so, and I'll probably come back to it again down the road because there's just a lot to say. But just fundamentally, as as the basic value of imagination is that the claim of Christianity is that reality is not what it seems. There is more going on than meets the eye. It it looks like there's no God. It looks like death is the end. It looks like uh, suffering is inevitable and will last until we die. It looks like it looks like we're just thrown into this world by ourselves. And now the 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 Bible is telling us that we need to think the opposite of that. And, and e- even when it's revealed to us, when we believe in Jesus, when we believe that he really came as God and he died and he resurrected and all of that, the world still appears very much like there is no God. And so we have to um, use our imagination to think through in this deep way and understand cognitively the way things really are. And we can't do it like anything else because um like if you want to find out about um you know is it spring or is it winter or is it summer you can go outside and say oh yeah it's summer you know and and you can't do that with questions about is there a god you can't just go outside and say oh yeah there's a god you you need more than that because it looks like there's not Hmm. and anytime you're in a situation where reality is different than the way it appears well then you can't trust on appearances you have to you have to tap into that some in some other way, and so I think that it's it's not a coincidence that uh, we are are um, I don't know lobbied to use our imagination in ways that are are, are uh, 
not beneficial for our pursuit of God. We're, we're kind of tempted to spend our time lusting, to spend our time um, thinking about ourselves and how we can improve our position and or just um, <clears throat> imagining uh, you know, stories or whatever that, that aren't, that don't have anything to do with God. And a lot of that stuff is okay. But, uh, at some point in order for our faith to be real, we need to experience it. And because our that where we're at, the context that we're in, uh, God is apparently absent and that, that his presence is not there in the way that the presence of my car is there. Uh, we have to find a different way to tap into that reality. And I think imagination is the, the, the primary doorway, the primary way that we, that we make that real to ourselves. You know, a really good book on this is um, by Greg Boyd, and I'm spacing on the name of it. What's it called? Uh, I have it right here, actually. It's called Seeing is Believing. Yes, 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 yes. That's it. And that that he really first of all he makes a really good argument about why we need to kind of uh, entrench ourselves in the reality of the kingdom of God and and how imagination plays that role. But you know the other thing is um, for people like me who I, I tend to not feel like God is speaking to me ever. Uh, I, I don't tend to have a lot of spiritual experiences where I feel the presence of God. Uh, th- Greg's book was really helpful because um, it, just using my imagination to have Jesus with me in the room or at the, the coffee shop or wherever totally reorients my perspective on that situation. So if I'm at, at Starbucks and I'm at a table with my iPad and I'm reading, and in my mind, Jesus is at the other chair across the table from me, I'm much less inclined to judge people who are coming in if Jesus is sitting right there. Mm. And if someone who comes in, I might normally say, man, you know, that person's fat. Maybe they should eat less donuts or whatever, you know. But if Jesus is sitting right there, I'm much less inclined to do that. I'm going to look at that person as the blessed creature that they are and the God love creature that they are. And that's all done in the imagination because in this world, uh, in the sauce, you know, there's value in judging others. There's value at understanding how I'm better than other people. And so there's this built in kind of, um, what would you say? Like, uh, I don't know, benefit to, to, to behaving this way toward my brother and sister. But if Jesus is at the table with me, that's going to help kind of push back against all of those tendencies. Yeah, I love that connection back to the sauce, the idea that it's like the in the book, you know, KX12, trying to reorient the imagination back to that self, back to just look internal. What do you need to do to survive, to get what's yours, that kind of direction. But what you're sort of saying is having a kingdom imagination that sees beyond. And uh, for me, it brings to mind Hebrews 11, where it talks about all these people, the faith, who weren't looking for a city they could see. Otherwise, it says what? They could have returned home, right? But they were looking for something bigger, something beyond, and allowed them to just keep walking. So to sort of formulate that kingdom vision. And I love the idea of Jesus sort of sitting next to you. Do you have have other sort of thoughts about how we can sort of uh, either form that imagination or be aware of the effect that spiritual warfare is having on us. I, I ask because at Rua Space, we do a lot of practices, meditation, prayer, those things. Do you have a, a practice that might help people along all these lines? Uh, yeah, you know, I think I just shared my best one. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. That was good. <laughs> I, I think it's definitely something that um, I am uh, 
it's not a strength of mine. And so I'm, I'm, I'm making baby steps towards this. And Greg's book has been a a big help for me in that. Um, And so I think trying to be more open to listening for God's guidance, um, because I, I don't trust, I don't trust intuitions about what God is telling me. Tend, I tend not to trust that. And so right now I'm really in a, a process of learning how to take the fact that, that we're in spiritual warfare and we have a real enemy and that enemy uh, is deceptive and a lot of times can come as an angel of light and a lot of times can tell us things that sound so good and, and a lot of times can even sound so moral and so ethical and so Christ-like, uh, but in fact aren't. And uh, so taking that reality with the fact that God really does care about Dan and he has he wants to speak into my life and being able to to be open to God speaking into my life without being paranoid all the time that it's not really God. And, and so those are just personal uh, problems that I have with it that I'm wrestling with right now. And so, you know, this is one of those things. I'm glad you brought it up. Most of the time, you know, when I talk in a, in a podcast, it's like I'm I'm sharing things that I'm good at, you know. <laughs> and this is this is what I'm the worst at. So uh, I, I'm I'm totally in a process of of uh, growing in this. I think that's refreshing to hear because it's it's easy to look at people who are pastors or authors and say, well, they know it all. They have it all together. And the truth is, yeah, right. Thumb, Dan's giving a thumbs down right now. So that, it, it's so true. We're all on this journey. We're all in this process together. But I think something you also hit on along the way was just being able to name the fact that these are realities can sort of open you to be aware of them and then to sort of look for them in a different way. Because I believe in the book, the demons kind of want to stay under the radar, right? They don't want to reveal themselves because as soon as it's real, then it almost loses a little of its power. That's right. Yeah. Why? And because it's you know, as soon as you believe in demons, well, then that raises the prospect of there being a god, and that gets you thinking about God. And that's sort of one of, and, and that's part of the fun of this is that there are certain things that the demons have to avoid, landmines that they have to avoid that are also counterintuitive. Uh, you would think that a demon would do better if they could just like appear to their prospect and terrify them. <laughs> and and in the short run, that's true. That would be very terrifying. And But in the long run, it's like, well, if there's demons, that must mean there's a God. And now I need to totally uh, invest myself in seeking God and pleasing God and all of that. And so they just literally, it would, it's they're falling on their own sword if they make themselves known. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, so we can name it, we can have a kingdom imagination, and we can keep journeying because we're all on this journey together. Dan, to sort of begin to wrap up, do you have just a word or sentence or just a few sentences that you would want to leave people with? I guess either a challenge or an encouragement? Uh, That's a good question. I think I would say there's a reason why the Old Testament tells us so many times so many times, over a hundred times in the Old Testament, to seek God, to seek God, to seek God, to seek God like a treasure, it says. Uh, And the reason why we're told so many times is because God is not obvious. And yet God is there. Uh, And that's so refreshing to me because um, it, it totally affirms the reality that it doesn't look like this is a godly place a lot of times. 
and and yet we're called to believe that God is is there and God cares. And that's why we're told so many times to keep at it, don't give up. To seek God like a treasure, it says. And But the promise is that if you seek God like a treasure, he will be found by you. And I think that um, what I love about the Bible is how honest it is about things like that. It's not easy, and but it's worth it because uh, we are in a war and uh, and we will in the long run do better if we're seeking God than if we're not. Um, and I, I think that's that's the, the thing that I would say is to keep seeking God. Don't get discouraged if God doesn't feel real to you. Uh, all of us experience that. I experience that. Um, I'll be sitting at a stoplight or waiting to get a haircut, and I'll just be like, why do I believe any of this stuff? Um, and that I just have to realize is why the Bible tells us so many times to keep seeking God is because we do have those experiences. But if we keep at it, I think we discover the truth that the world, even though the world is bathed in suffering and evil, um, it's it's uh, kind of all of that is encapsulated by a God who loves us very much and who promises to make everything right and who promises to liberate us from this arena of death and, and uh, evil. Amen, friend. Beautiful word. Where can people find your work? Where can they uh, connect more with you? Yeah, uh, thatdankent.com. You can connect with me on Twitter, at thatdankent. And uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I love having discussions there. And then I have a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash author Daniel Kent. And I'm doing more live stuff there. And uh, yeah, and then I also do a podcast with Greg Boyd called Greg Boyd Apologies and Explanations three times a week. And it's basically I ask questions to Greg Boyd, who's you know a genius and he's a very unique personality. And those are the main ways. And you have a number of books. So I will put those things in the show notes. Highly recommend going and checking those out, friends. Dan, thank you so much for your time. This was a blessing and an honor. Well, thank you, Phil. Hey friends, Phil here again. Before you go, I just wanted to say thank you again for joining us here at Rua Space for this discussion with Dan Kent. I pray that you were blessed, challenged, and encouraged. I highly recommend going and checking out the training of KX12 if you haven't read it already, as well as Dan's other books, his website, and his podcast with Greg Boyd. So there is just a ton that you can explore when it comes to the work that Dan Kent is putting into the world. I believe that you will be blessed. Now, if you'd enjoyed this episode, it would be a huge blessing to us if you would consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us reach a larger audience with this good word, this uh, different ways that we can make space for the Holy Spirit. So again, brothers and sisters, until next time, grace and peace be with you.